0: I mean, I am not kidding. When you're a kid and you are walking to go to the pantry to get just a a jar of tomatoes for your mom and every heckle, every hair on your body goes boom. You were fine two seconds ago, something's up. This is not your imagination. This is a change in electrical currents. This is something.
1: Welcome to Speculative Sandbox, your audio playground for creative storytellers. My name is Vicki Lawn, and each episode, I and a guest will unpack a fiction trope with an eye for character development and narrative structures. Make sure to look for Speculative Sandbox on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter, where you can join the conversation. Leave comments or questions, or let us know what other tropes we should cover. When the real world just doesn't cut it, let's get lost in a fictional one. believe in ghosts? Well, regardless of whether you do or don't, ghost stories are prevalent in many cultures and belief systems around the world. If you love to read or write ghost stories, I am so excited to introduce author Bibiana Crawl to the podcast to talk about her ghostly childhood. We talk about our favorite urban legends, the common tropes used in ghost stories, and the ways for authors to write an effectively spooky story. At the beginning of this recording, I was ready to talk shop with Bibiana, but by the end of it, I was remembering some of my own repressed encounters with the afterlife. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Please tell me about yourself and any of your latest projects.
0: Um, well, I'm Bibiana Kroll, and I'm the author of 28 titles as of today. I'm working on my 29th as we speak, and i um, I'm a multi-genre author who who actually went back to school later in my life. When I turned, I think, 46 or 47, I had kind of an existential crisis about what was going to happen later and had the opportunity to go back to graduate school, and um, and I took it. And when I took that, it really changed the trajectory of my life because I had been working for um, many years in private aviation, travel, um, kind of the entertainment sector as far as like sort of personal entertainment, concierge type stuff. And I just one day realized that I wasn't happy and I wanted to be a writer and I had wanted to be one for years. And I just literally woke up one day and just completely flipped out and got two master's degrees in a row and here I am so well,
1: congratulations on following your dream that's a huge thing to be able to say I'm not happy with the career I have now even if maybe it had security and all these things that people say you should look for it in did. a job But being able to ch- chase your dreams and achieve them good for you congratulations thank you thank you so I'm really excited to talk with you today because our topic is going to be about ghosts. And I'm currently <laughs> writing a book about ghosts. I figure we can talk back and Ooh. forth on, on on ghostly things. But first of all, do you believe in ghosts? Uh, 100%, yes, yes, I do. And before we started this recording, you told me in your emails that you grew up in a haunted house. So tell me all about that.
0: I did. Um, I grew up in a house that... Um, my parents actually bought I think they bought it in the 1950s or 1960s I'm not exactly sure like they they bought this house that had been abandoned by a a family when their mother passed away and they had a house and then more family down the road so this is in Michigan in the country where a lot of farmers have their brother down the road their cousin down the road and this was a house no one could use and it basically went abandoned for quite some time to the point that farm animals were living in the house when my parents bought it for almost kind of nothing and uh, i had to really just completely diy rehab the whole thing did it look but, haunted at that point when you were looking at it well my parents well my parents don't they do not recognize that it's haunted
1: okay it's so, just a good and deal
0: Right. It was just a good deal. It was, um, it had lots of land. We had an enormous um, garden. Um, You know, we grew up basically on what I call kind of a organic gentleman's farm because we didn't have thousands of acres, Okay. but we had enough that we could have animals. We had horses and goats and all that kind of cool stuff. And we grew pretty much the majority of our vegetables and fruit. Very cool. Yeah, it was it was a really amazing way to grow up, actually.
1: Mm -hmm. But there was something else in the house.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Well, I think, um, you know, I was a pretty intuitive kid. And I spent a lot of time in the woods listening to like nature and all that kind of stuff. But there was always something about this house. And I would go to other people's houses and not feel it. Okay. But In this house. Um, everything centered around a closet in the front hallway, and the basement. And the basement was a really a very typical basement of Mason or Mason of uh, like Michigan farmhouses, where it had an area that was kind of concreted over, and then an area that still had like the dirt floor and the pantry. Mm-hmm. And that area in particular seemed to have the most sort of, we'll say, feeling, ominous feelings of just, I mean, I am not kidding. When you're a kid and you are walking to go to the pantry to get just a a jar of tomatoes for your mom, and every hackle, every hair on your body goes boom, Mm -hmm. and you were fine two seconds ago, something's up. This is not your imagination. This is a change in electrical currents. This is something
1: always in the same place right
0: um well in that particular house there were spots that were just so 100 haunted that it never went away okay and then there was activity that sometimes moved around the house which was like sort of a like a different level of kind of what was happening this house was I mean haunted from tip to top root to floor
1: were you the only one that felt it or did other family members feel it
0: Well, that's the funny part is, is I grew up in an enormous family and uh, we were very traditional um, Catholics and Catholics, even though they say father, son, Holy ghost, Mm -hmm. you know, when they do the sign of the cross, don't believe in ghosts. They only believe in the Holy ghost. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a really weird combination of being told that there's a Holy ghost, but then there's no other kind of ghost. And um, so I didn't really share this with my siblings because, you know, how am I going to tell them something that doesn't exist, exists? Am I like a complete loony bird, you know, what's going on? And every once in a while though, my sisters would get scared of something or act a little bonkers or whatever, but it wasn't until we were all out of the house, much older experienced in the world, we'd gone off and done done our own thing, that sometimes we get to drink in a little bit too much on somebody's porch, or it's a holiday or whatever. And people start saying things. And some of the things my siblings say correspond with memories I have that I am 100%. I never shared with them. Mm. So which just tells me that this was not some sort of group psychosis or imaginings of my mind. Like we were all experiencing these things.
1: Did it affect your dreams at all?
0: Oh gosh. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. Um. I think when I was around six or seven, it was around six or seven years old, I actually started sleepwalking. And I mean, like it was chronic sleepwalking to the point where um, we had a formal stairway in the front of the house up to the second second story and a circular one, like a lighthouse kind of one in the, the back part of the house and a big, you know, the big metal open steps kind of thing. And I was sleepwalking down those, you know, like completely not aware of where I was and sometimes waking up completely asleep, laying on like the kitchen table, you know, oh, in like my pajamas. on it, like on, on top it. of it. Wow. Right. Like I'm so tired and I climb up on it and I fall asleep there. But the scariest sequence of dreams at that point that I completely 100% remember is that I actually saw myself walking down the stairs. So I was somehow seeing myself come down the stairs and then getting up on this table and then hearing noises. And we didn't have any pets in the house because we were, we were farmers and farmers don't bring animals in the house. You know, They're in the barn. Yeah. That's kind of how farm life is. And so we didn't have cats or dogs or anything in the house. So when you hear scratching, you know, like, what is that, right? A mouse maybe, Mm -hmm. but um, there was a door from the kitchen that went down the steps to the scary basement and it was louvered because in the seventies, everybody freaking loved louvered doors. I don't know why. Can't tell you. I think they're pretty ugly, but, uh, but I heard something scratching the louvers from the basement side of the you know, of the door, and it woke me up out of the dream.
1: So, you're just standing and in the middle of the house, not sure how you got there. The scratching woke right. you up.
0: Wow. Right. Creepy, creepy, like something with sharp, you know, like it, it could have been a cat, a mouse, you know, something sharp against the, the louvers. And so, I remember walking up to the door and feeling very much in peril at this point, and something was on the other side of these louvers. And if I would have had the guts, which I did not to actually bend down, if there was something there, I would have potentially been able to see it, you know, through those little slats in the louvers. But I was terrified. I I was absolutely terrified of what it might be that I would see, and it stopped scratching you know, when I was standing in front of the door, and I just remember just feeling like, you know, if it scratched one more time, or if the door shook, or anything else happened, I would just drop dead. I stood there, and whatever it was that was on the other side stopped, and so it was like this sort of standoff, and I couldn't see what it was, and I don't know if it could see me or not, but finally, I just was something in my head said, run. And, and I just like everything activated. And I remember running up those circular stairs, just scared out of my wits because something in my mind was like, it's not going to stand here forever. It's, it's coming for you now, you know? Oh yeah. Did you ever tell your family? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I told my sisters. Yeah. I told my sisters, my sisters had been mad at me for something and had locked the bedroom door Oh no. So when I get to the top of the stairs and I can't get in the bedroom, I am, I, I mean, I, I was hysterical at that point. And I remember running across, you know, the, the, um, you know, the upstairs, just trying to find a door that was unlocked. And um, my parents' bedroom, thankfully was not. And I went in their bedroom and, you know, we have all these siblings, so we're not supposed to like bother our parents. And I'm just like sitting with my back, you know, to the wall, closing the door thinking, you know, how is this stupid door going to protect me from whatever this is? And um, I remember my dad or my mom or somebody making like a funny noise. and, And then I must have fallen asleep, like sitting on the floor, afraid that I would get in trouble for waking people up or being hysterical. I mean, this is, we're talking about something that, I had been told time and again wasn't even real. Mm-hmm. How so, often do
1: you take experiences like these and and put them into your work?
0: Um. Well, I have. I still have very active dreams. Okay. I mean, extremely active dreams. And sometimes when I travel, which I, I travel often, sometimes when I travel, I'm in a hallway somewhere, or I'm walking through a park, or just whatever, and suddenly. That same exact sort of really instinctual gut sort of like high sensor alert goes off. Okay. And I know I'm in the company of something like this, or somewhere where something occurred that's, you know, sort of magnetically holding on to that energy. So, so I recognize it. I actually learned as a kid to recognize it. So now anywhere in the world that I go, very often. Um, I'm aware of it, even if other people aren't aware of it, I can't necessarily see it, but I mean, like my whole body goes into like super magneto mode. And I, and I know, you know, I just know. And I think it's because I trained myself to be super, super aware because it wasn't humans I was worried about in this house. It was something else.
1: Oh, creepy. Give me chills with your story yeah, oh, so it
0: was, it was really scary.
1: So great opening to this episode. Um, Thank you. I love talking about ghost stories. I'm gonna do a quick, brief overview of ghost stories in general, and then we'll talk we'll talk some more about sure. how to write ghost stories and um, incorporating real life experiences into stories. So one of the earliest ghost sightings was documented in the first century AD by Roman writer Pliny the Younger, who claimed to see the specter of an old man with chains haunting his house. And of course, there have been tons of ghost sightings probably before and ever since. We have some famous ones like Anne Boleyn wandering the Tower of London. She was beheaded by uh, King Henry VIII. Uh, we also have over here in America, Benjamin Franklin's ghost was supposedly seen near the American Philosophical Society in Philadelphia back in the late 19th century. Abraham Lincoln is rumored to roam the White House. And then we have spectral armies that people claim to see on battlefields. And author Mark Twain is rumored to haunt the stairwell of one of his residencies. Uh, so of course, there's this, this is mostly Western history I'm talking about, but there's a lot of ghost lore throughout all of the whole world. Um, my particular favorite is Hungry Ghost Month in Asia, where they honor their their um, ancestors and believe that they come back from the dead during Ghost Month. So, with all that being said, why do you think ghosts come back?
0: Um, I think I think different ghosts come back for different reasons. I think the um, the ghosts that or or specters or spirits or whatever you want to call them, I think that they They have different reasons for being here. I I don't think that every ghost has unfinished business. Okay. I don't think that that every ghost is or every sort of spirit mass or spirit sound or whatever you come across is capable of of making decisions or is trying to actually do something. I think sometimes, um, at different times of the year, um, sometimes during sort of special we'll say astrological moments like hunter's moon or something like that I think that planes between different sections of what we understand as dimensional a dimensional world I just think that sometimes they're a little bit thinner or if we're experiencing lots of emotional turmoil in our life or we're hypersensitive for whatever reason because we're grieving or or whatever it could possibly be, I think sometimes there's just like this connection, and and those connections are always spinning like a wheel all around us. And sometimes, sometimes they kind of align like magnets, and for a moment, or even for a longer period of time, you know, there's there's almost like this uh, sort of dual mirror effect where I'm on one side of the mirror, and that whatever it is is on the other side of it, and we're we're sinking for a very short time in this weird radio signal. Yeah. It's I like mean, the that's... passing
1: of realms. It's like you have yes. the living and the dead yes. and it overlaps. And every now and then it crosses.
0: Yes. Interesting. Absolutely.
1: Do you think, so the book that I'm currently working on, I've been trying to explore different ways of looking at ghosts and my might well, this is my fictional book theory <laughs> for this specific project. Uh, but I envision when if ghosts are going to be interacting with people, um, my thought is it, they, they would have some sort of psychological reason for it, whether it's they are happy, like you're saying, it's like passing and passing passage of realms and there's emotions attached to it. I always think about that. Like if you're thinking of a loved one, do they feel it when you think of them or is this ghost? vengeful and they're they're hanging on to grudges just like we hold on to grudges to other people in our lives and I always think if ghosts are harassing people maybe they're carrying a lot of trauma and just like how humans have to uh heal from trauma I always wonder if seances or all the current methods for contacting or communicating with ghosts ever attempt to Uh, explore those traumas in the same way you would explore those traumas with the living that's my theory
0: (laughs) it's I think it's actually a really amazing theory and um, I I, you know when I was a little kid I was scared to death of all of this and I certainly couldn't just sit here and talk about it without like crying and being like all emotional and and being just really terrified of everything because Mm. you know what's real what's not real what you know you're experiencing 100% and everybody's telling you you're not I mean like are you going to lose your mind somewhere in between those two things or what right um but as as a teenager and then in my 20s I started exploring what this all means a lot more and a very just super connected woman I met years ago her theory about you know haunt a haunting of any kind was that 7 seconds this I'll never forget her telling me this 7 seconds before you leave this plane 7 seconds whatever is in your heart whatever is in your mind whatever it is that you're regretting denying feeling whatever emoting is what your spirit will carry
1: mm-hmm. and then and
0: I'm That blows me away a little bit because if that's true, if you're with somebody who's been ill for a long time and they feel love, well, then they're going to carry love. Um, If you're with somebody who's, uh, you know, some horrible, terrible human doing some horrible, terrible thing, and all that's in their mind is revenge and anger and and carnage or whatever, that's what they'll carry, you know. Mm Which, which would explain such a range of, we'll say, uh, sort of sparkly Casper type, you know, ghosts in lore versus this super terrifying, you know, kind that that try to shove people off widow swaps and things like that, you know, so,
1: mm-hmm.
0: so I don't know, maybe, maybe there's some, some merit to all of that.
1: Yeah. Okay. So then what are your favorite ghost stories or urban legends? We'll go back and forth. I have a couple too.
0: You know, I was in Chicago, uh, gosh, I don't know, 15 years ago with um, a good friend. And we were staying in this hotel that was supposedly part of the network of like Al Capone's boys back in the day. And we were like, you know, we're going to ride up and down the elevator. We're going to look for this ghost, whatever. You know, because supposedly his Al Capone's ghost, you know, is in like every building in Chicago, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But anyway, so we're in this elevator and the the hotel's under construction because they're renovating. Suddenly, our stupid elevator goes haywire. And I mean, these elevators are probably from 1975. So it's not really shocking that the elevator is kind of. But anyway, it takes us all the way down into some freaking sub-level basement.
1: You didn't ask and it to it, take you there, it just took you there? No, yes. Okay.
0: Yes. So we're in this sub level basement. The door opens, it's pitch freaking black. I mean, pitch black. And I'm like, oh, hell no. Jamming the buttons. <laughs> like, <laughs> you cannot see. You cannot see. You know, like it's so dark The dark almost has a vibration. It's so dark. Uh-huh. And, and, um, and she's like, what is happening? I'm going to, I'm going to get out. I'm going to, and I'm like, you are not getting out of this elevator. I do not know what's going on. And, um, you know, finally we got the door to close, but just as the door closed, I felt like we evaded something, Ooh. you know? And I was just like, when we got up to like the lobby level, which was like level five or something from where we were you know, there was a guy working on the the panel or whatever. And we were like, dude, this elevator just took us. And he's like, well, nobody's supposed to be down there. That door is that's supposed to be security, whatever. And I said, but it opened. And he's like, no, there's no way you need to show me. And I'm like, I am not getting back in this elevator for nothing. (laughs) And my friend was like, let's do it. And I'm like, I think that we're okay right now, but if we go back down there, whatever was happening might like actually more of it happen. I'm not going. Mm -hmm. And, and she, she kind of like sort of, you know, gave me this look like, oh, you're a scaredy cat. I'm like, no, dude, I'm not scared. I'm I'm thinking that I know something's going to happen and I don't want it to. So you got to listen to that gut instinct. Right. So do what you want to do, but I'm going to go have a beer and calm my nerves bye
1: bye (laughs) my story is a little bit more it's not as it's thrilling but not as I think as scary or it depends on on your take and how you feel about this uh, traditional scary game when I was thinking about uh, ghost stories or urban legends I immediately thought of bloody mary which is a game that many children play at sleepovers you stand in front of a mirror with all the lights off, you hold a candle, and you chant Bloody Mary over and over and over. And there's some variations. Uh, If she doesn't show up right away in the reflection, you turn in circles. And uh, if she does appear, I guess she's supposed to turn the light on and you're safe. There's other ones where you're supposed to chant, Bloody Mary is free of me or whatever, because you don't want her to follow you out of the bathroom. All these very (laughs) concerning. (laughs) Uh, And I, I will say I participated in these like kid rituals in my lifetime. And I always find it to be such an interesting experience because there's always the child doing the teaching and then the child doing the learning. And I was always in the position of learning uh, and these kids would tell such elaborate stories about it uh, that, I mean, it would scare the pants off of me and we never, ever, I don't think we ever got so daring as to have a candle. Um, we just stood in the dark. And so then we can't see anything in the mirror. Maybe that was by design. But yeah, that, right. that is mine. And I did some research on it. And of course, there's plenty of theories on where Bloody Mary came from. My favorite is Queen Mary of England, mm-hmm. who burned like 300 dissenters at the stake during her five-year reign back in 1553. So uh, yeah. Have you ever played that
0: game? Um, I've never played that but we used to play light as a feather all the time. Okay, you know, yes. where you lay down on the floor and, and all of your friends put their fingers like under your arms and stuff and you're supposed to like float up in the air.
1: Yes. Did so, you ever float?
0: i I never floated supposedly one of my friends did but what's really crazy is the friend who said that she you know who claimed that she was floating somebody else actually claimed that the piano behind her was floating. I didn't see it. I didn't Mm -hmm. see it, but you know, you know, they were all, we were all being like, you know, a little crazy or whatever. And I didn't see that, but there were some pretty strange things that went on in her house as well. When I spent the night there a few times Mm -hmm. and um, you know, it got to the point for me at that particular house that I was just like, I, I I can't spend the night here. I can come here in the daytime. But when you lay down and you dream and you're like in this very vulnerable kind of state, mm-hmm. I was like, I, I do not want to be in that state in this particular house.
1: Now that I'm thinking about it, my childhood house had a couple funky things with it. It was built on old, it was built on, I, I don't know much about, I'm Uh, the Native American lore mythologies, but it was built adjacent to a burial ground. And so by law, a lot of these areas need to be chained off for preservation. And so my backyard happened to come right up against it. And I didn't really think much about it until neighbors started talking. And this is back in the nineties, you know, people speculating on things, but one thing I always, myself and my brother would always experience is we had dogs and oftentimes our dogs would bark at nothing like nothing in the room not like just nothing as a sound and then there were times where we'd walk through the house and in the corner of our eye we see our dog like up the staircase or down the hall and so we turn to the dog to say hey come here come here come here." we look and nothing is there and then we're like lucy you know we call our dog and the dog comes from a different part of the house than what we just a second ago thought we saw So we, we, a lot of those encounters, I'm trying to remember, I remember having a lot, a list that I wrote when I was a teen and I've since forgotten all of it, but houses can be scary.
0: Yeah, they can. And if, if they're, if they have like sacred land, like what you're talking about, especially if the sacred land has been disturbed in any way or besmirched in any way, like the trees have been cut down or pavement has been, you know, or even just you know, if you're not Native American and this is, this is very sacred land as far as like people have been buried there and it's been blessed and it's got elders and all that kind of stuff. You're not even supposed to be walking over it. If you're not part of that tribe, you're not supposed to be there period. Ooh. So
1: well, now I'm remembering you know. at nighttime, I was really scared of my room. Um, I think one time I woke up and there was a dark shadow where my desk was like, it was like, the whole room was dark but that corner was darker if that makes sense I, I i've seen that before i know exactly what you're talking about okay yeah and it but dark like dark like a mass like a body mass was there yeah and then every now and then i would hear like a, a loud wood like a knock against my closet door like not like something fell over just like a knock and i would like jolt awake i remember now it's all coming back to me i was terrified of that closet and that side of my my house
0: in my yeah, own room you know. <laughs> Yeah, there's nothing more scary than than being in like the pitch dark and actually seeing a black mass like what you're talking about peel out of the darkness with more form and density than night itself. Mm -hmm. And and to sort of shape shape shift or change. Sometimes I've seen masses like what you're talking about um, sort of present themselves as like a like a, a giant but it's a skeleton, like completely Mm. skeleton, like a human skeleton, but it's a giant, like seven, eight feet tall. I've seen it do things like that before, depending on the kind of places. Like when I was in Prague uh, years ago, the hotel I stayed in, I didn't realize that it had been one of the hotels where officers stayed when Hitler basically took over the city and lots of terrible people were staying there and lots of terrible things were going on because unfortunately it was looked upon as okay for these groups of we'll say elite officers to entertain themselves after they had basically scourged these cities Mm. and um, I took a photograph from the third or fourth story that goes kind of down this opening where this enormous elaborate art deco chandelier hunk and in one of the photographs is one of these forms
1: Wow! and I
0: didn't know it until I got home because this is like in the olden days when people didn't have instant digitized photographs so like four weeks later when I got home from Europe or whatever I developed all my pictures and I was like, you know, in love with all of the stained glass in this hotel. It was just beautiful. And so I was just taking photos, but I kept feeling my hackles going up in the hallway and on the, you know, but I was just like, you know, this is a really old city. You know, that's, mm-hmm. I was just, I didn't know the history of this particular place. But when I saw those, I was like, what? And and it was, what was more terrifying is it was basically grasping the chain, looking down at me. And so it's like face, it's horrible, like sort of death mask faces, like looking at me and it's like bony feet or whatever are still kind of hanging above the floor. So it's like this three or four story tall thing made, oh. stitched basically of shadows.
1: That's amazing that you're able to capture that. I captured... Oh, the weirdest wow. thing I ever captured would be in college. So this now, uh, let's see, I, it'll be mid-2000s. I was on the second floor, my, my shared apartment complex. I lived with three other women. Uh, and I just, on a whim, this is back during, this is before smartphones. And before you, it was even worth trying to take pictures on like a cell right. phone. So you still had your own snap <laughs> camera, digital camera. And I just remember like thinking on a whim, I'm like, I'm just going to take a picture of the window behind my computer screen real quick, make sure it works. It's nighttime. It's you're just looking at the glass, took the picture, didn't think anything of it. And then as I'm scrolling back through it with my roommates, because we were looking at the photos from that evening, there's this weird blown out, weird refracted photo. And there's a very clear like we all freaked out. when We saw it. there's a face in the Ew. in the photo and it was it made it disturbed us so badly and mind you this is a second floor window it's a straight drop there's no balcony right out it that i immediately trashed it because it made me so uncomfortable looking at it whether right. or not it was coincidence or not it was just a scary experience
0: yeah and you know uh, a lot of people don't realize this but maybe again you know from my childhood experiences i've realized that if you keep photographs like this in your phone and you email them to people or you post them on social media or whatever there's energy in Mm. these photographs Mm. and the energy that whatever this is that made it manifest capable of manifesting itself in your photograph it's still there and Mm. and i also feel like the the more malevolent kind of energies are looking for more energy. So it's not wise to keep that on your phone. It's not wise to print it and put it up on your wall and study it. I mean, get it. <laughs> you don't want to carry it with you.
1: No, my first impulse was to get rid of it as fast as yeah, possible. It,
0: that was a smart one, a really smart one. So now that we've scared ourselves and each other, <laughs>
1: or maybe just me <laughs> and our listeners, Let's talk about ghost stories themselves. Um, okay. Tropes that commonly show up. I've I've looked up two that are my favorite. How many tropes do you want to talk about?
0: Um, well, I mean, my my tropes, uh, they, they probably will be similar to yours. I'll let you go first. I'll let okay. You go first.
1: Okay. So my tropes were positive tropes. When I tried to look at what the roles were that ghosts play in stories, I mean, we can always talk about the ones that are there to haunt you and... Or hover right. around you, or just scare you when you take pictures outside your window. Uh, these ones are more positive, so I'll start with the ghosts that are there to warn the main character and help them. My favorite version of this right now is Mexican Gothic by Sylvia Moreno Garcia. There's gonna be little spoilers in this. Have you have you read this book yet?
0: It's fantastic. Yes.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yes. It's a gothic horror, and the main character is invited to a house to check on the well being of her family member. And while there, she ends up being haunted by a ghost and you start to think maybe this is a malicious malevolent spirit, but turns out this ghost was the victim of the family living in the house and the ghost is trying to warn her. So I think it's a great twist for readers uh, because you find out in the end that they're the friend and I've seen this being used in other places as well, but I just love that. I I love that because it looks at humans too, how you don't judge a book by its cover and you can find Mm -hmm. friends in unlikely places.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And and not only that, but it's very easy in that particular story. And I, I won't give spoilers, but in that particular story to get really lost in the Gothic aspects and you're just like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, you know? And so you're not necessarily noticing that there's a little thread kind of running below the surface. It's very masterful. Mm-hmm. It's I think it's just an excellent modern Gothic.
1: Yes, I agree. I found it to be uh spooky sexy yeah. um yes. and also gross like it's like really good
0: <laughs> yeah like the tail end of it is just like so super gross I was like oh no but I you know I can't say what it was but yes I was totally skeeved out in like the second to last and the last scene I was like oh no you mm-hmm. didn't but <laughs> But, you know, I guess it serves that purpose of the horror genre. So mm-hmm. like the horror folks who like, you know, squishy, slimy, whatever things, you know, you're going to get it in that yep. story at the tail end.
1: Yep, absolutely. What is your trope?
0: <laughs> um, I think one of, one of my favorite tropes is like a new house. Okay. When people move into a new house in a story or in a film, you know, you always have like sort of that chaotic good, like, yay, we're in a new town or yay, we, we got a, a new job and we have a new house. But whoops, it's <laughs> so like this thing going on and and either the people who sold it to them knew mm-hmm. or the people who sold it to them never had any experience and they think they're completely bonkers. So I love to see that trope at play, even though it's been tried and true and done a million times. It's always interesting to see how it kind of plays out and how it's either going to motivate the main characters or motivate even the side characters to do different things. Because sometimes, you know, like in Scooby Doo, for instance, the Scooby Doo cartoons, it was always some bad guy trying to get away because he robbed a bank or whatever. So mm-hmm. it was wasn't even a ghost in the first place. But in the the really scary ghost stories, though it tends to be like what you're talking about like some kind of warning or some kind of um or sometimes it's an ancestor but i just think it's a, it's always interesting because you're looking at the newness and the change and the real life aspects but then there's this sort of you know spooky spectral kind of thing going on in the background and you never really quite know if it's done the right way if it's you know the the distress of the humans, or if it really is something until like that very last scene, and then it's like you know payout time, and you get to find out if it really was, or if it's just all in people's heads and just the uh, the fear of change, etc.
1: Oh, that's such a good point. Yeah, Ta- using ghost stories as a metaphor for those things, like fear of change, right? New things, and I'm sure with your own personal experiences, the the new house, the haunted new house, kind of. Do you find when you read stories like that, do you ever find connections to, do, do they act, are they able to capture the way you felt living through it?
0: Um, I wish, I wish I could say yes. Um, I would have to say that uh, The Haunting of Hill House, 100%. Okay. 100%. Um, Mexican Gothic, 100%. Um, but in, I would say 95% of the ghost stories that I've read, I can tell that the person has actually never really had a, a real experience.
1: Gotcha. Well, and I'm not, as, I've seen different iterations of haunting of Hill House uh, from Mexican Gothic. I think about how a lot of the hauntings happens when she can't tell when she's awake or or dreaming.
0: Right. right and so right.
1: losing that, that that distinction between that those two areas.
0: Yeah, like the lucidity, like this really weird surreal space between sleeping, dreaming, waking, and worrying. Mm. I think that is that is like prime real estate for a haunting.
1: Oh, interesting. Okay, Uh, my other trope is kind of similar, I guess, to the other one where the ghost is there to warn. but, it, but changing it a little bit, I went to the classic Christmas carol ghosts where the ghosts are there to teach us a lesson. So they haven't, they're not haunting a place. They're more like haunting a mind. And when the main character is moving in a certain direction and the ghosts need to redirect you, um, they, that's when they appear. And, you know, ghosts of Christmas past, present and future. I think this is an interesting trope because in stories that do that, we're placing ourselves in the center of the universe. The idea that ghosts are looking after our well-being—they care about what we're doing. They're very omniscient. They—they they have our best interests at heart. And I always like to challenge that idea, which is maybe the ghost wants to think about themselves <laughs> when they—they they pass on, <laughs> and they—you <laughs> know. I anyway, that's my thought.
0: <laughs> well, you know, it's—I think if if there is such a thing as ghosts, you know, and. And I say that to anybody else who, who maybe hasn't stumbled across you know, some of the things that you've experienced, that I've experienced. Um, I think it's, it's important to just keep an open mind. So when something happens and you know that you're not under the influence, that you're not searching for it and something in real time happens that you can't explain, that uh, a logical person like me has to sit down and figure out what just happened, you know, like piece it together. Um, I think it's important for people to, to reason things out, but sometimes, unfortunately, um, there is no explanation that is going to fit within science, logic, religion, or even we'll say good company. Like you can't talk about this at a cocktail party for instance, or, or whatever. But I think that kind of goes into another trope that I really like to see in stories. And within that trope, you have the troubled human who is an outsider, misfit, whatever. And the troubled human suddenly starts experiencing another trouble, a troubled spirit somewhere in the woods that, that gives them advice. Or somewhere in in the library that Mm. helps them find the right page in a book, or or whatever. So it could be benevolent or malevolent. You you never really quite know. Um. Again, because this the humans troubled. So the question is 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 this spirit aligning with them a troubled spirit, or is this a helpful spirit, or is this a malevolent spirit that's going to help shove them off the cliff? I mean, Mm. so I like that um, sort of in that idea of what you were saying of past or, uh, past, present, future. It's kind of the same idea of past, present, future, except what it is, is reality, non-reality, um, good versus bad. If you can really say this is good, this is bad when you're dealing with something that, that isn't human, but might have human qualities.
1: Yeah. What you were saying earlier about how. The, the idea that energy moves with objects. And that oh, does. that instantly made me think of The Grudge, but I'm talking about the Japanese version. So The Grudge came out in America, like, I don't know, 15 years ago um, with Sarah Michelle Geller, but it was based off of the Japanese movie The Grudge. And what it was about was the spirit that if you went into the house or whatever, I'm I'm going off of memory now, this is deep memory, Um, the spirit and you interact with the spirit, the spirit will follow you. But if you try to like, I don't know, make a phone call out to call for help, that thing will transfer through the phone call to the other person, the receiving end and start haunting that. And so there's a lot of, um, that made me, watching that made me, I was like, it was the first time when I realized, oh, it's like sentient. (laughs) Like it doesn't just stay in the house it will move out and the way that the japanese version of the grudge filmed it um they're masterful horror storytellers and i i couldn't sleep for a couple days after that and it stuck with me for a couple of years after that uh just the idea that it will follow you and then most recently the movie it follows is about a, a a A spirit that relentlessly pursues you, not running or anything, but walks until it murders you. And the way that you get rid of it is supposedly you're supposed to have sex with someone and then it Mm -hmm. passes on whatever that spirit is onto them. And so if you have sex with someone at a party and they don't tell you about it, it's a a metaphor for HIV, right? For any sort of sexually transmitted disease, but um, it doesn't just stay with the source, the spirit will will escape the source and nobody is that's whack it's so whack
0: (laughs) (laughs) i I didn't i have not seen that one and i haven't seen their grudge either i'll have to definitely have to watch it but yes i do think that there is that capability within this this kind of realm i mean i've studied a lot of quantum physics and i've always been really kind of obsessed with quantum physics and um, i think quantum physics has a lot to do with the capabilities of what we're talking about here, mm-hmm. and um, my understanding is, is that uh, energy, you know, never stops moving and never stops bouncing around, and uh, anywhere. And so, if you had a, we'll say, a really souped-up um, way to look at your wooden furniture in your house, it would be actually vibrating. You know, everything would be vibrating on the sort of subatomic level so anything made out of anything that was organic would still be kind of like you know vibrating a little bit it would still be alive to a certain extent and so the idea that if humans have we'll say a a battery pack Mm -hmm. you can call it a soul you can call it a battery pack you can call it energy whatever you want to call it but when you're alive, you're alive. When you're not alive anymore, it's pretty darn obvious you're not alive. So when that energy that has basically been, you know, keeping the fire burning departs now what is no longer, you know, living, Mm -hmm. where does it go? Does it fly around in outer space? Does it go to heaven? Does it, you know, fit into like a little jar? Does it stay in your Your iPhone, because you took so many selfies this year. Mm. You know, like, where does it go? So when I was studying quantum physics and really thinking about just quantum energy, you know, the recipe to the universe mathematically, um, Fibonacci, you know, all that kind of cool stuff. It really ties in to how I see spirits. It ties into how I view hauntings and the things that I've experienced myself.
1: Well, I, I think that idea too, about the spirit living on that energy passing on somewhere else, I mean, has been believed by so many cultures for generations and generations worldwide right. um, with different people experiencing different things that it, there has to be some truth in it. If, mm-hmm. if all collect like so many diverse cultures have come to similar conclusions
0: okay so yeah absolutely absolutely and I I you know some people would argue that it's because people don't want to let go of their loved ones or whatever well you know there are some loved ones you know in all due respect that people do want to let go of Mm -hmm. and they, they still have these stories so you know how do you explain that I guess that's my question in the universe
1: as a writer, you mentioned so you mentioned earlier how some writers haven't been able to fully capture the experience of being haunted, you can tell that it's fictional. What's some advice that you have for writers both thematically, structurally uh, that could help them when they're writing a ghost story?
0: You know, when, when you're writing anything, it doesn't even matter what it is, not just ghost stories, but when you're writing anything, you have to conceptualize where you want to go, but then you also have to research it to the point that you yourself have not become an expert, but you've become open-minded enough about the possibility of whatever this concept is, that you could take that leap into the imaginary, um, or into the, um, an area that maybe even scares you a little Mm. bit, and, um, because they always say, you know, write about what scares you, write right you know with blood right with blah 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 it, to me the most important thing is is giving yourself enough information from what people say is real and also fictional like surround yourself with both sides of that coin as we'll say the neutral party and throw it in the blender and and see what your mind tells you see what your heart tells you and your own experiences tell you and try to uh, not sensationalize or even dramatize, but actually try to pull the little truth threads out of it and to implant them in a way that, that people, people are feeling that sort of authenticity behind it, like some sort of emotional connection to it.
1: How important is it to, like, uh, I, I guess you can say there's the obvious thing that you can try to appeal to, which is the presence of something dead, but how much is, how important is it to also appeal to other fears that you could probably even say that we're fearful of the living for?
0: Yeah, I I mean, I think um, if that woman was correct that told me, you know, advised me that that last seven seconds. So I guess in your story, whatever it is that's, that's haunting, or the person that's haunted or, or whatever, what would go through their mind? What would they, would they be regretful? Would they be vengeful? Would they be uh, sad? Would they completely 180 change who they were? What would happen in those last seven seconds? And if you put that sort of authentic truth and power behind it, I think, I think you've got a lot of character traits that would ring very, very authentically. I love that. That's great advice.
1: Okay. Well, at this point, I think we've answered all the, thank you so much for answering all my questions. Is there anything that you would like to promote or have any final send-off messages?
0: Um, well, you know, I, I write a lot of ghost stories. So um, I have 28 titles on Amazon right now, but I would say that um, Corvus Hall, L, uh, no, Corvus Hall Troika and, um, I can't even think of Noble Jones are probably the closest to like really authentic, you know, ghost stories that I've delivered so far. I don't necessarily try to scare people to death or whatever, but I'm putting actually some real life experiences into them. Mm -hmm. And in Troika, especially that particular story was, um, came from a friend of mine who was very, very ill and started seeing this bizarre trio sitting on a bed in her hospital room across from her. And she shared all kinds of stuff with me about what who she thought they were and what it was. and and um, I, I'm just telling you that stuff i don't I don't really understand all of it. I just know that when you experience something like that, and you put it into a story you have to at least that part of it give it exactly so almost word for word how it was experienced and you can build the rest around it but you know if people are interested in me that's great I love to talk to people and be social and um and my website is is just my first and last name.com so bbiana Crawl .dot com. and I love I love to meet new readers and new creatives. I love to hang out with other writers and artists. It's fun.
1: That reminds me of a TikTok trend where a lot of public health professionals share stories of haunted hospitals. And apparently it's very common and you have uh, like ambulance people who work at paramedics in the ambulance and you have people that you know receive at emergency rooms and they talk about one story that kind of chilled me to the bone and you had what would happen is one professional would share the story and then it would get stitched by another professional in a different ho- hospital and say, yep, this, this sort of stuff happens here too. And this particular oh, story wow. is about a young girl that haunts the drop-off point of the ambulance. She's looking for her mom. And basically what happened Ooh. is they both died there um, and her ghost still happens to be there. And so uh, another example is a, a, another story that was shared by a nurse was one, uh, like a new nurse would, be, would notice something in the, in the hallway of a darkened room and say, hey, there's a person in that room. And like, no, don't look at it. And uh, she's like, why not? And she's like, you don't wanna look at it. Don't talk to it, don't go over there. And well, why? Well, the theory is, or the belief is, when people pass and their spirits stay behind, they're having difficulty passing on from right. their place of death. And if you talk to them, it'll keep them there. And you need to mm-hmm. encourage them to leave so you don't engage with them. And I just, like, I got chills hearing that story. And okay. after that video, more and more and more nurses were sharing the same thing. <laughs> creepy.
0: Gosh. Yeah, I think that's great advice too. Because often when I have come across what I would consider a, a troubled spirit, I, um, I usually say something like that. You don't belong here. This isn't your place. You need to leave. You need to go find you know, the place where you're supposed to be, like your time is, you know, you're stuck here, you're not supposed to be here anymore. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know if it works. I don't know if it helps or not. But when you're dealing with like the gentle Casper types, I think it works pretty good. But when you're dealing with the other kind, um, it's probably best not to speak or engage, period.
1: That's really good advice for dark triad personalities in the living. They want that attention, (laughs) right? Don't give it to them. Yeah,
0: like, like don't even look. Like they're standing there doing scary things in the corner, whatever. I don't see you. I can't hear you. No, no, no. You know, and Mm -hmm. I'm sure it could get pretty antagonistic if it actually was happening in real life. But yeah, best advice is definitely like physical distance. Do not engage.
1: Speculative Sandbox is a volunteer-run podcast that relies on the collaboration of fellow creators like you. Join the conversation and participate in fun polls and questionnaires on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter. Interested in being in a future episode? Our DMs are open, or you can email speculativesandbox
0: at gmail.com.